seated. It's good to see all of you here. Welcome to Woven Covenant Church. My name is Pastor. My name is Wayne Park. I serve as the pastor, um, pastor of this church as the lead pastor. Continually, my privilege and joy. Um, there's nowhere else in this world that I would be working and serving today than here. So uh, as I preach week in and week out, uh, there are times, there are seasons, uh, several weeks at a time where I'll speak in series to the heart. I'll give stuff that we can take home and use, um, heart issues and speaking a lot about our lives, practical stuff. There's also times where I'll teach, where it shapes our understanding, it shapes our belief, and it helps us to believe because how we live our lives is based in large part on how we believe. How we believe and believing correctly is orthodoxy. Orthopraxy is right practice. Orthodoxy is right belief. And orthopraxy is right action and right doing. Orthopraxy comes about as a result of right belief. Orthopraxy comes out from right understanding. And so we're in this series called Community Bible Experience. We're actually nearing the end where it's about orthodoxy and about right understanding, right belief. As I teach and spend this time teaching through the New Testament, we are nearing the finish line, and um, next week we're going to talk through Revelation. That's going to be fun. Um, But today what we're going to talk about is Mark, Peter, and Jude. That's the section that, well, some of you might be there, some of you might be ahead. Mark, Peter, and Jude, three books. The common denominator in those three books, I believe, is the Apostle Peter. Now think now, who was Peter? Who was Peter? Remember in your own studies, Peter was Jesus' right-hand man. Jesus had 12 disciples, and among them, Peter was kind of the, the committee chair, so to speak. And so Peter was one who had very close inside knowledge of Jesus. Now, the connection with Peter and Jude, there's a lot of overlap and a lot of similarities um, between those, those books. But in particular with Peter and the Gospel of Mark, the connection is this. There was a young man named Mark who traveled with Peter. Mark was known to be Peter's interpreter. He was the one that would interpret for Peter. He was the one that occasionally would jot down the things. Well, actually, not occasionally. He ended up writing the Gospel of Mark. So everything that he heard Peter speak and teach, he recorded and put into a book called Mark. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to hear about the story of Peter. It's going to be like Peter's experiences, but told through the pen of Mark, through the Gospel of Mark. And I'm going to teach today, teach three things. Now, if you look in your bulletin, if you look in your bulletin, you'll find a note sheet that looks like this. And three headings that we'll talk through today. First is the Markin sandwich, the Markin sandwich. Secondly is the emphasis on seeing and hearing, seeing and hearing. And third is the shorter ending, the shorter ending. So I'm going to teach a little bit of Mark today, and I think that this stuff will come alive for us. So we begin with that first heading, the Markin sandwich, the Markin sandwich. That sounds kind of goofy, it sounds weird, but it's actually a thing. It's a thing. How many of you noticed this when you read Mark, that Mark seems like he's in a rush, that he's constantly moving quickly through the story, immediately and immediately? I know at least one person here noticed through a woven group discussion, somebody raised that. And when you read Mark, there's a sense that he's 
talking and then changing the subject, and his mind is kind of flighty, and he's jumping around. Is this the product of an intention deficit disorder person, or is there a purpose to Mark's writing? Does he jump around on purpose? He starts off with one story, and then he interrupts and tells another story, and then he comes back to the original story. Actually, I believe he does this on purpose, and it's called sandwiching. Last week, for those of you who, how many of you remember last week's sermon? Take a moment to rewind. Remember last week, what did we talk about? Last week, we talked about the soil, the four types of soil. The soil as in, uh, you know, the fertile soil. There was a soil that was thorny, the soil that was shallow, the different types of soil. And then Mark changes the subject and talks about souls. Soils and then souls, the condition of our souls. But after that middle part, he comes back to the original conversation about soils. And so this skipping back and forth, this sandwiching, this is, this is what's called the Markin sandwich, and this happens a lot through Mark. It happens a lot through Mark. So that's the first heading, and we're already past it. And we move through to the second heading. By the way, before I get on to the second heading, um, I'll just say, if you have questions, I think we'll actually have time today. We'll have time. I don't think we'll have time next Sunday, and we're going to conclude the series next Sunday. So if there are questions, this is your last chance to text them in to that number. That's on the bottom of your sheet, 832-263-3307. And if you text in your question, uh, we can address with the question and answer at the end of today's service, or sermon, rather. So we're talking about this sandwiching thing Mark does. And I'm going to give you now a perfect example, a perfect example of a Markin sandwich as we move to the second heading. We're already up to the second heading, so we're going to move briskly today. The second heading is the emphasis on seeing and hearing. And let me tell you, illustrate for you how Mark does this so that the next time you read Mark, and I hope that there will be a next time, you'll recognize these things. If you look at Mark chapter 8, and you'll find this on the inside of your pink bulletin, you'll see the passage in very fine point, small font. I had to cram it all in there. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus is in, uh, in the wilderness. He's traveling, and 4,000 people are following him. And it comes to a point where, you know, they're tugging at his sleeve, and they're saying, hungry, hungry, I'm hungry. So how do you feed 4,000 people in the wilderness when there's just a few loaves of bread and some fish? Well, Jesus does his Jesus thing, and he <laughs> miraculously, bloop, 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 bloop. you know, I can speculate, and, you know, and endlessly about how he, I have no idea how he did it. All I know was he was followed by a large crowd in the wilderness, and he fed them bread. Where does that sound familiar? Where does that, somebody tell me, where does that sound? Don't, Exodus, where Israel is following God in the wilderness, and they have nothing to eat. Rain, um, bread rains down from heaven. Bread rains down from heaven, and God provides And so after this amazing miracle where 4,000 people are fed in the wilderness, you know, they're all kind of full, first of all. They they ate to their their heart's content. They're traveling. They're they're on a boat, and they're going to the next location. And Jesus kind of sitting back, you know, maybe he has a toothpick, and he's, you know, and he waxes philosophical, and he says to his disciples, he says, beware of the leaven, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Watch out. Beware of the leaven. 
What is leaven? Leaven is a yeast. Yeast is something that if it touches dough, gradually it infects the whole thing. And when you bake it, it causes the bread to rise. What yeast does is it infects things. And so what Jesus is saying here is not just watch out for the bread of the Pharisees. He's saying watch out for the infection of the Pharisees. Don't let yourself be infected by their bread. They don't understand this. This is where it's funny. Because the disciples, they're like, uh, I think Jesus is hangry again. And if you remember the whole fig tree incident, we taught, I taught through that weeks back. I think he's hangry because we have no bread. And all that extra bread, we just, we didn't bring any with us. And he's hangry and we're on the boat. And Jesus is saying, guys, guys, hangry? Really? You think I'm upset because I can't provide bread? On the, that we don't have bread? on, the... Guys, seriously? And he asks them, in verse, in verse uh, 18, chapter 8, verse 18, he says, Having eyes you still don't see? Having ears don't you hear yet? You don't understand? You think that I can't provide bread? Who was it that provided bread all the way back in Exodus? Was it Moses? No. It was God. In other words, who is this in the boat with you today? Who is in your boat with you today? Friends, I'll ask you one more time. Who is in your boat? If Christ is in your vessel, how's that kid's song go? Bobby, do you know? With Christ in my vessel, I can smile at the storm. Smile at the storm. Smile at the storm. With Christ in my vessel, I can smile at the storm. That's kind of... um, Who is in your boat? Is it just a man? Or is it the Almighty God? That's what Jesus is asking. Do you realize who's in the boat with you? Well, this is where Mark sees fit to abruptly change the topic. And he abruptly changes the story and leaves this whole conversation about understanding. Consider that, friends, the top slice of bread. Now we're going to get into the filling. How many of you like to eat sandwich? How many of you like to eat bread sandwiches? Straight up, two slices of bread, that's your sandwich. Doesn't make much of a sandwich, does it? What makes a sandwich? What makes the whole thing come alive? It's the things that you splash in the middle. That brings the understanding and the meaning of the whole thing. The middle section is this strange story about two touches, two touches. The strange story where in verse 22, a blind man comes to Jesus and Jesus touches him and it's almost like he touches him but then you see his God finger isn't working or something because apparently the person wasn't sufficiently healed. So a blind man comes to Jesus and Jesus lays his hands on him and says, do you see anything? And the person says, ah... I see men like trees walking around. In other words, yeah, kind of, not really. So I don't know uh, how many of you have seen me with my glasses on. I wear glasses, the type of glasses where once I put them on, my eyes get this big. And you're like, whoa, 
like those Coke bottle glasses. I have really bad eyes. If I take my contact lenses out and you want me to read something, I have to literally be like this close. It's, it's embarrassing. I guess I would be what you call legally blind. I have really bad astigmatism. So would you permit somebody like me, without my glasses, contact lenses, would you permit somebody like me to drive? <laughs> because I'm, in one sense, legally blind. Would you say that I'm blind, though? I'm, w- w- would you say Wayne is blind? Not really either. I'm somewhere in limbo land. Somewhere in limbo land where I'm, I, I'm not blind. But you can't r- really say I legally see either. That's where this blind man is at, at this stage. He's definitely not blind. He begins to see. You come out to church and you hear the message and something makes sense. You're not blind anymore. Kind of like those old gospel songs, I was blind but now I see. You kind of get the message. You're not, definitely not blind. Something clicks. But do you definitely see yet? Do I see This is a question that Mark poses again and again. You're not blind. You've been following Jesus. You know that much. But do you definitely see? Do you see with clarity? Even to those of us that have been in the church our entire lives, do we see yet? This state of limbo is what Mark, is is what Jesus is talking about. And in order to clarify, in order to truly grant sight, he has to touch him a second time. A second time. How many of you have ever had the second touch, whatever that looks like? Have you had the second touch? What we see in verse 25 of chapter 8 in Mark, Jesus again a second time lays his hands on his eyes. And then it says the blind man looked intently And he was restored. And he began to see everything clearly. He began to see the matrix for exactly what it was, zeros and ones. It's like he finally sees. He finally truly understands. That's the inside of the sandwich. Strange story, right? But it's going to make sense. Here is the bottom slice of bread. Back to the disciples and their lack of understanding. After this incident, in verse 27, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, Guys, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And they look at each other and they're kind of nervous. And one of them says, John the Baptist? The other's like, yeah, yeah. And then somebody else says, "Uh, Elijah. And others say, one of the prophets. And then Jesus looks at it and he says, "Ah, close but no cigar. But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And then you see Peter sheepishly. Peter, remember, this is the story of Peter. And Mark has an inside track on Peter's experience. And so we see Peter sheepishly raising his hand and say, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. And all the other disciples are like, teacher's pet. They're all grumbling. Because he gets the right answer. Jesus says, right answer, right? Let's see if it's the right answer. Is Jesus indeed the Christ? 
Jesus continues in verse 31 after that and says, You know, guys, the Son of Man has to suffer and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. I have to, and ha- has to be killed, has to die. And he was stating the matter plainly. I think that's interesting. Because all this time, Jesus had been speaking in parables. Now he's just saying, look, guys, they're going to kill me. I'm going to rise again. And he's explaining all this plainly to them so that they, he explains it to them. And at this point, Peter takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. And the Greek word there for rebuke means it's not, it's, it's like an argument. They begin to have this intense argument, like a yelling match. And Peter says, what are you talking about? Why are you trying to frighten the troops like that? Don't you, can't you tell we're raising an army here? We're going to go into Jerusalem. We're going to overthrow Rome, right? Isn't that what it means to be the Christ? Isn't that what it means to be the Christ? You're going to ride in on a tank. We're going to enter through the triumphal entry. We're going to overthrow. We're going to become the, you're going to be Christ and we're going to be your glorious generals. And we'll use whatever means of force and power and politics and whatever we have to do in order to attain it. And this is where Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the interests of God, but the interests of man. What he's saying is, Peter, 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 right answer, wrong Christ. Right answer, wrong type of Christ. In other words, you're still blind. You still don't see. In other words... Peter kind of sees. He's like the blind man. And that's where the inside of the sandwich is informing everything. Like the blind man, he's not blind anymore. He kind of, kind of understands. But does he really see just yet? No. No. He doesn't see. And so you have this emphasis once again on two touches. What does Peter need, friends? What does Peter need in order to truly see? He needs a second touch. He's been touched once. He needs to be touched twice. And this theme of the second touch, it's going to continue all the way through Mark, all the way to the end. And that leads us to the third and last heading, the shorter ending of Mark. The shorter ending of Mark and the need for the second touch. Hold that thought in the back of your mind because I think we're going to see it again with the shorter ending. The shorter ending of Mark. Mark chapter 16. I'm going to start with verse 6 where there is an angel. It's just post-Easter or it is Easter day. It's Easter day, but this passage I think is, is very appropriate for the first Sunday or the second Sunday after Easter technically. Jesus has just risen He's not in the grave, and they're looking for him, and the, and the angel says, don't be amazed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He's not here. He's not here. Behold, here's the place where they laid him, but he's not here anymore. He's alive. Go. He's risen from the dead. Go. Tell his disciples and Peter. There you have that inside kind of, you know, the inside story on Peter. Go and tell Peter that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, 
for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They were afraid. Thus ends verse 8. If you look in your Bible, after verse 8, you're going to see something. You're going to see in brackets something strange. And you might wonder about that. It might even be one of your questions. And that, that what it says in brackets is the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have the following italic section. And what you have is an extension. I'm not sure exactly how far it goes. If you look in your bulletin, maybe somebody can tell me it goes up to verse 23 or something like that. But you have uh, a dozen or so verses in italics. And these passages, additional passages, there's some debate about whether they were authentic and original to Mark or not. Now, track with me here because this is going to make sense. Um, The Bible is composed, it's put together by ancient manuscripts and copies. And what they're saying is there are some copies that are very, very old that end the Gospel of Mark at verse 8. At verse 8, where it says, They left the tomb astonished, fearful, and trembling. They were afraid. It ends there. Now, is that any way to end a story? It's, um, you know, I, I, was, uh, I was listening to music this week, and I, I was having a flashback. How many of you have ever seen the Lost series? Um, you know, the entire series. I, I won't spoil it. Um, but there's the finale. The finale of Lost. Now, let me just back up here. Um, hopefully, this, hopefully this anecdote will make sense. But, you know, if you watch Lost, it's this show about mystery. It's about, you know, a lot of questions. And whenever they would throw a cliffhanger at you, the screen would go black and these big words lost would show up and the music would go, like it would have this weird creepy music, something like that, right? But the finale of Lost, and I'm not going to spoil it, but it's very beautiful, it's touching. I cried. And the piano is playing, it's just beautiful music. And it's supposed to wrap up the whole series, Right? And at the very last note of, of the finale, da, 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 da. wouldn't it be funny if the screen switches, lost, they're still lost, and the music goes, Dum. and it's like, it's not wrapped up, it's inconclusive. <laughs> That's not actually what happens, I mean, that doesn't spoil the series, it, it ends in a nice, you know, da, 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 da. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful, I thought it was a beautiful ending. But the thing, the thing about the gospel of Mark is it kind of ends on that note. It's like Jesus resurrects, lost. And you're like, what in the world? This does, this is, there's no conclusion here. There is a conclusion. I, for one, after a lot of study on this, I don't think that uh, everything that follows verse 8 was authentic to Mark. The reason being, when you look at it, there's two clues. Number one, Mary Magdalene is mentioned twice. Mary Magdalene is mentioned twice. Previously, and then again in the italic section. It's almost like, uh, it's almost like 10 Second Tom from <laughs> 51st Dates. It's like, hey, I'm Wayne. Nice to meet you. 
and then 10 seconds later, hey, I'm Wayne, nice to meet you. It's, it's this kind of reintroduction of Mary Magdalene that's kind of odd. It doesn't seem to be um, authentic and genuine to Mark. On top of that, the language of this italic section following, uh, it doesn't sound like Mark. You don't need to be a Greek scholar to recognize that. You know, when it closes off and say, the sacred and imperishable gospel of salvation uh, went out to the mat, that, that doesn't sound like Mark. Even in the English, it doesn't sound like Mark. What I'm saying is, I think Mark intended, it's my opinion, that Mark intended to end on that weird note, that they were afraid, that weird cliffhanger. This weird sense that the story is yet unresolved. Why does it end on that last note, those last words, that last note, they were afraid? It seems like throughout the entire gospel they were afraid. What does it mean to be afraid, friends? What does it mean to be afraid? I think fear is an indication that we don't understand. I don't get it. Wait, I'm scared because what? Wait, what really is he just, what? He rose again? There's an inability to understand. There's fear which marks, what am I seeing? Let's say you were blind, friends. Let's say you were blind and somehow through science you were given sight right away. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden like, you know, the doctor's right in your face. And the first thing you see is like, whoa. If your eyes were just opened from being blind, you're still fearful. I guess what I'm driving at, friends, is that all the way to the end of the gospel, there's a sense that we've only seen for the first time, that we've only had our first touch. And we still don't fully get it yet. And like the disciples throughout the entire gospel, we're fearful, we're afraid, and all the way to the last sentence, we still don't get it. What do we need? A second touch. And that's interesting, because just before these words, what does the angel say to them? He is going to Galilee. There you will what? See him. Friends, where is Galilee? Where is Galilee? Anybody? It's where Jesus started his ministry. Jesus started in Galilee. What the book is saying at the end is almost like go back to the beginning, reread it a second time. And you'll see. With a second touch, you'll see. You'll see. Go back to the beginning. Friends, you've read through the Bible. Some of you have read through it quickly through this this CBE series. Now read it again slowly. Maybe even the Gospel of Mark. Look for the sandwiches. Look for the... Look for the theme of two touches and second sight. But most importantly, this is what I want to leave you with. Ask if you truly see. Ask if you truly see. And if you don't, then ask him for sight. Ask him for sight. Can you uh, pray with me just for a moment and then we'll get back into the Q&A. I want to invite you If you wish 
to see clearly. To pray with me. I'll lead and you can follow. And pray quietly in your heart. Jesus, I know I'm not blind because I believe in you. But I am not sure if I truly understand yet. I know you are in my boat, but I am doubting your power. I do not believe that you will calm the storm. I do not believe that you can take care of me. I do not believe that there will be bread to eat. Help me in my unbelief. Touch my eyes a second time. I will read again and go back to the gospel to search for you, to find you, and to see you. And I pray now, open my eyes to see you. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org. That's www.wovenchurch.org.